What are we looking at here is a film review podcast. There will be significant spoilers in every episode, so if you haven't seen the movies I'm discussing, please do pause here and go see them before continuing. I talk about all kinds of films and all kinds of topics, so some content may not appeal to you. You can check out the content warnings in the show notes and decide if this episode is right for you. What are we looking at here? Hi everybody, welcome to the show. Today we're looking at No Escape and what the music tells us about the characters. In 2015's No Escape, engineer Jack Dwyer has brought his wife Annie and their two little girls, Lucy and Bees, to a Southeast Asian country, one that is never named and is basically made up. He's going to be working for Cardiff, a company that wants to bring a better water system to the country, and he's excited because he believes the work he'll be doing will help people. He's also nervous, though, because his last job ended after the company couldn't get their business off the ground, and he's uprooted his family to follow a plan that may not work out any better. We meet the family as they make the many hours flight from the U.S. to Southeast Asia. They're all tired, and tired children can be a handful, so the fact that they're all speaking kindly to one another even while dealing with fatigue and culture shock is a good indication that these are nice people who genuinely care for one another. We also meet Hammond, a middle-aged man who's been to this country several times and is eager to make the adjustment easier for the Dwyers. As they all leave the airport, Hammond leads them to a cab run by a local who goes by the name of Kenny Rogers, and who only plays the real Kenny Rogers music on the cab ride to the hotel. Later, after Jack and Annie have gotten the kids settled, Jack goes down to the hotel bar and talks with Hammond about why he's there, and about what the country's like. While they're talking, the entertainment, a singer and her piano player, starts singing an American song. The piano player is playing a Casio keyboard that he's placed on top of a grand piano that he isn't using at all. During their first night in the hotel, Jack wakes up to find Annie crying in the bathroom. She explains that she's just tired, totally understandable, and Jack tells her he thought coming here was the best solution. Neither seems angry at the other, but this scene highlights how big a decision it had been to leave the U.S. and move so far away. In the morning, Jack goes for a walk to the market district. He passes by a group playing traditional Asian music on traditional instruments, and he puts some money in their collection bowl. He gets to the market, and then everything shifts. What started out as a happy-go-lucky place full of music and cheerful people shopping changes in an instant into ground zero for a clash between some sort of violent protest group and the police. The situation turns to chaos, and Jack finds himself running away from the market, following locals as they dodge through side streets and alleys to get away from the conflict. 
He passes by the place in the park where he had listened to the musicians, but they had been attacked, all killed or routed. From that point there really isn't any music anymore. We hear the movie score, but no more in-film songs. And from that point on, the film is no longer about coming to live in this beautiful place, but about needing to flee from it. As everything goes extremely wrong, and the Dwyers have to run from the protesters trying to kill them. Clearly there are a lot of facets to this film that we could discuss, but today we're just going to look at the music and how it tells a story about the Dwyers, about their relationship, and about their connection to what they had thought would be their new home. Let's start with Kenny Rogers. When the Dwyers get into Kenny Rogers' cab, he's playing the real Kenny Rogers' music, specifically the songs Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town and Don't Fall in Love with a Dreamer. As the cab passes by the building that seems to be the seat of the local government, we see soldiers running toward the building as though they've been summoned to respond to a crisis. We don't particularly know yet what's going on, but the Dreamer song fades into the background as the more dramatic film score takes over. How does this tell us anything about the Dwyers? On the surface, the Ruby song is about a woman who's cheating on her husband, but Annie doesn't seem to be cheating on her husband. That level of insight into their relationship isn't even part of the film. But looking more closely at the song, it's also about a woman who's not connected to her husband the way the husband would like, and he's asking her to stay. He's asking her to value him enough to stay with him instead of moving on with someone else. The family have clearly traveled a long distance into a completely different world, so it doesn't take a lot of exposition for us to know that Jack, who's relocated for his job, might be concerned that his family are upset with him about it, that they question his wisdom, or that they wish they could have stayed home instead of going with him. The Dreamer song reflects Annie's perspective. Is this move a good one for her family? Is Jack the flighty dreamer in the song, who always leaves people behind and who always lets them down? Or is he worthy of her decision to stay with him and accompany him to this place? The Ruby song represents Jack's fear that Annie might be in her head and heart, singing the dreamer song. But these references, Jack's insecurity and Annie's doubts about their decision to move, get drowned out by the dramatic film score which is the backdrop for whatever's going on in the government building. Basically, whatever's happening right now in country is overshadowing any troubles Jack or his family might have had before this moment. Let's move on to heart and soul. Or not, depending on how much you want to see Pierce Brosnan sing drunken karaoke in a hotel bar. When Jack joins Hammond in the bar, Hammond and a random local businessman are karaokeing their hearts out to Huey Lewis's heart and soul. The song is about a man who's in love, or something, with a woman who's heart and soul, hot and cold. He lets her, quote, take advantage of him because she's just that seductive in, apparently, her ambiguity. Does this tell us anything about the Dwyer's relationship? Probably not. We don't get the sense that Annie's particularly difficult to be around. She's tired when we meet her, and small children are pushing her patience, 
but she and Jack are both soft-spoken to one another and communicative in a positive way. They don't glare at each other or bicker. She doesn't try to make him feel bad about coming to Asia. If they're trying to paint Annie as emotionally unpredictable, they don't do a very good job. She seems to be the exact opposite of that. She's consistent. She's calm. She's the heart and soul without the hot and cold. The heart and soul song is sung by Hammond, though. He told them at the airport that he had been to this country fifteen times and that he loves it here. He's clearly in his preferred element getting drunk at the bar. The song is more about him than about the Dwyers, and we might think it's more about this little Asian country than it is about a person. Hammond's drawn to it in spite of himself, even though he's experienced a dark side underneath its truly beautiful qualities. He had shown the Dwyers scars from his travels around Asia, which suggest he often ends up on the dark side of travel experiences. But when we later learn why Hammond was in this country in the first place, and the darker side of the company that Jack works for, we see that the true hot and cold seductress who, quote, gets what she wanted and takes advantage of others is actually Cardiff. The song doesn't really say anything about the Dwyers, but it says a great deal for the Dwyers and for Hammond. Jack's being duped. He's going to pay a price for Cardiff's misdeeds. And where will Cardiff be when its workers are in danger? As the song says, they'll have left without a warning. The next song we hear is the American song performed by a woman whose piano player is playing a Casio keyboard on top of a grand piano. Jack notices this and asks Hammond about it, who tells him that's what it's like here. That mix of East and West, with a bit of incongruity as those two influences compete with one another. The singer is belting out Midnight Train to Georgia, a song about following a man to Georgia, because she would rather live in his world than live without him in her own. Annie has made this decision, to take that metaphorical midnight train, and that's the note we end on before the plot shifts. It's a fairly positive, fairly romantic note, but it includes the sacrifice within the choice, an awareness that to come here with Jack meant leaving a lot of things behind. But that's not necessarily bad, any more than it's necessarily bad to play a Casio keyboard instead of a grand piano. A blending of things can work, a blending of cultures, and a blending of the needs within a relationship. And since this is the last American song we hear before the plot shifts, we can know that both Jack and Annie have chosen to embrace this move to a new place. This is further illustrated by the next in-film music we hear. When Jack walks through the little park on his way to the market district, it represents his willingness to be part of the local culture rather than to be stuck inside the hotel. He appreciates and supports the traditional music being played in the park, and the musical sounds he hears later in the market district are the tinkling of chimes, a sound that captures his attention so completely that he doesn't see at first that the protesters and the police have squared off at opposite ends of the street. This scene isn't just about the disruption of the local systems by the chaos of protest and conflict. 
"'It's also about Jack having chosen to align himself so wholeheartedly with his new home "'that the chaos affects him as much as it does everyone else. "'He's taken by surprise and runs for safety alongside his new townspeople. "'He helps a woman and her baby. "'He leads several people through a vegetable stand to an alley "'and then follows their cues to get further away from the fighting.' Even though Jack doesn't speak the local language, he's bonded with these people enough to communicate the shared danger and for them all to avoid it together. When he runs through the park and sees that the music group has been attacked, he and the audience both feel that something that had been true twenty minutes ago, some reality that Jack had begun to accept as his own, has been destroyed. Whatever this place had promised to be when the Dwyers landed, that has now been altered beyond repair and we see that reflected in both the shift to local music and in its subsequent obliteration. Through the American in-film music in No Escape, we can track the doubts and fears of the Dwyer couple, their decisions, and the general state of their relationship. When the American music disappears, it demonstrates that the Dwyer's doubts and fears have also disappeared, that they've committed to the move and to this new place. The last American song is about choosing to leave home and follow love, and it's performed by a duo whose equipment represents an unusual but pleasant mixing of familiar and new, the keyboard on top of the piano. The rest of the in-film music is local, and Jack, who's decided to become a local, likes the music very much. But after the scene in the market district, the only music we hear for the rest of the film is the dramatic score. The Dwyers don't hear any music, and neither do the locals. Locals who seem to be working with Cardiff or with other Western businesses are targeted by the protesters. So it's not just the Dwyers who are in danger. When the conflict starts, when the protesters face off against the police, it effectively removes music from the world. The traditional notion is that music is a common language that anyone can speak. And despite the huge difference between tinkling wind chimes and Ruby don't take your love to town, that notion is pretty much correct. But in No Escape, the music dies. The people in the film, the Dwyers, Hammond, Kenny the cab driver Rogers, the duo in the bar and the local group in the park, everyone, stop singing, stop playing, stop hearing music. They can only hear the drumbeat of marching, the pop of gunfire, the threatening bellows of angry men, the roar of explosions and falling masonry, and the screams of the wounded. The only language they can share now is fear. Does no escape end with the Dwyers back in America listening to happy American music? It does not. Their shift to this new world was genuine and absolute and their new home has truly been destroyed. Whatever they do now will have to be a rebirth that stems from this place, this little country in Southeast Asia. But that last American song, The Midnight Train to Georgia, was sung by a local woman. It is symbolically then a song sung to Jack by this new place, by this new home that the Dwyers enjoyed so briefly. And its message is that it's better to live in the world where our loved ones are than to live in a familiar place without them.
The music in No Escape is ultimately a reflection of the Dwyer's discovery, a very simple one, really, that home is wherever they're together. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. If you want to check out my other content, you can visit my website at www.smrcooper.com. I hope you have a good week and that things go your way. And if you get a chance, watch a movie.